Hello, and welcome to episode 106 of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Stuart Butler, and I am joined today with Peter Piper Picked a Peck of Pickled Peppers, Peter Mayo. Hey, everybody. I have nothing to say to that. Right. I was trying to be clever, but I, not fast enough. And how much would, would Melissa Chuck if Melissa could Chuck would? Melissa Kavanaugh. Howdy ho. There wasn't a tongue twister with Melissa in. I could find. Sorry. I had to do that. You could change my name. I could be Sally. Silly Sally. What? Sally sells, sea sh- sells by the seashore. Is that what it is? I thought it was she sells seashells by the seashore. It could be that. I never heard say it was Sally was the she and Sally said, uh, no, know. you're probably right. It probably is she. She because she and C is hard to yeah. interchange. So welcome to the Tongue Twister podcast. Brought to you by Fuel Travel. Hey, speaking of tongue twisters, mm. it's more of it's a it's a joke, but it's still a childish little thing. So that's what an d- awesome segue there. Thank you. Speaking of this one thing, this, I'm gonna this, do com- something this else. comes from my kids. Right. What do you call a little girl who has a lot of gas? I don't know. Wendy. (laughs) See, that only works in the south of the U.S. Because you pronounce your I's and your E's the same way. So, like, my wife says pin and pen the exact same. Mm -hmm. She says pin for P-E-N and she says pin for P-I-N. But normal people outside of the south don't pronounce the I's and the E's the same. So, So Wendy... It's pronounced Wendy. And Wendy is And Wendy is Wendy. Ah. Right. So, Melissa, you're from the north, so yes. you pronounce your I's and E's differently. Interesting. Yeah. So, that's All it. Right. That's like a colloquial joke. It only works for the southern. All so right. Well, like, don't listen to this podcast. Some of our... The beginning of it. If, if, if you're from the south, you just found that hilarious. And if you're not, everyone's like, that makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> what, what kind of a name is Wendy? That's what they're thinking. I, this is a joke from a... Nine-year-old. Hey, interesting fact. Did you know Wendy, as a name, was invented for the book Peter Pan? Like, it didn't exist as a name prior to that. Really? Mm-hmm. That, that is was the first existence of the name Wendy was in wow. Peter Pan. I think everybody's learning so much more except for hotel marketing. Oh, is that so what they tuned the in for? Yes, they did. We could change the name to something <laughs> else. But yep. no, let's, let's stick with hotel marketing. Yep. So today's episode, we are going to be doing something amazing because... You, if you have been listening to the 105 previous episodes, you already know how to run a great hotel, how to drive um, repeat business, and you're doing excellent with those guests. They're coming back. They're happy. They're loyal. But what if you want more? What if you want to go and find new people that have never come to your property before? Mm-hmm. The elusive new guest, right? Typically, it's a little more expensive to find a new guest than it is to keep an existing guest, but we all need to do it. We're going to have attrition. People you know, aren't always going to come back. So we always need to be looking for new folks to come and fill up our hotel rooms. So today we're going to do 10 different channels that you can use to help you find new guests. So that's what we're going to be running through. And th- this, is a, this is a great one to, you don't have to take notes because we'll post the notes uh, on the, the website. But listen to each of these and make a list because this is something that you really can start working your way through. As a real hands-on, how do I yeah. find new hotels? Every, every one of these is very <coughs> applicable and easy to begin, right? Yep. And then you can get in the weeds and optimize each of these channels. But there's not one of these that is hard to start, right. you know? And if you're not doing all of them, then there's an opportunity for you to go find new guests. Who doesn't want more guests? No one. So, all right, before we get into that, though, let's see what's going on in the news of All righty. 
No, what? dude. What? <laughs> With hotel marketing that cannot lose, now it's time for news a Good. Were you tr- literally trying to get out of doing the jingle? I was kind of thinking we would just move right from the intro right into the news. What is wrong with you? Even uh, when you're not here, Melissa. I had sing. to sing last time, dude. Nah, I'm sorry. Yeah, if both of you are missing an episode soon, we're totally in trouble because I cannot hold a tune. So. There's only some recording device we could use to have it recorded and ready. No, that's nonsense. That's true. That is nonsense. All right, so what's going on in the ruse? We have an article today from Focuswire that I thought was pretty interesting. And basically, it's saying that Alexa is not so much wanted by hotel guests, which is maybe a little contrary to some people's belief. And the article is talking about uh, the folks at Best Western that have implemented Alexas in many, many places. And basically, they're finding out that a lot of their guests are just disconnecting it because they don't want to be listened to in their rooms. How about that? Well, it doesn't help that they've had that both Alexa and Google have had a lot of bad press with all of the not necessarily data breaches, but I guess breaches of trust. Right. Is a probably oh, better surprise, way of saying it. This device has been listening to you. Yeah. Yeah, you're looking at me because I, I yeah. I'm a big believer. You've heard the show before. I I speak about my my passion for how humans and interacting with technology is fundamentally shifting to this voice world. So this this makes me a little sad. It doesn't surprise me, but it makes me a little sad. <laughs> I think when people aren't quite ready, we're getting ready to do a study of leisure travel consumers, and uh, we're actually going to ask this question too. Uh, we're asking questions about how many people have smart home speakers in the house but we're also going to ask this question as well it's like would you want that in your hotel room so we're going to collect some data from a bunch of north american leisure travelers as well i i think you're going to see a correlation in in that right between people that have it and want it and people that don't have it and don't want it right? people who sense. don't want it at this point vehemently do not want right. that in the room because they're crazy just <clears throat> like the people that didn't want to use a mobile phone to book a hotel room seven or eight years ago because oh it's not secure or you know there's misinformation it's silliness but But they they, some people do have a point because i mean it just came out a couple days ago that google had a microphone built into the nest security system sure but that was not listed as part of the spec for the product at all it was not in the documentation no they never mentioned it to anybody that this device was there and listening up until the point when they had an upgrade and oh by the way now it's a smart speaker also mm. uh, all the way to the point where I think Congress is, is requesting someone to come to Capitol Hill to testify of how they forgot that there was a speaker in this device yeah. from a privacy concern perspective yeah and that, that's always going to be the trade-off right and, and people have a different tolerance level <laughs> for privacy and security versus convenience mm-hmm. And in, in, in my case, I, I don't see anything that interesting or that incriminating that I care about it, in, in my home or in a hotel room. So I was an early adopter for this kind of technology. But uh, not everyone's like that. There's a lot because of conspiracy seen, theories out there. You've already experienced the benefits of those right. systems. For someone who doesn't have a smart speaker. They don't have the benefits. They don't yet. miss the fact that they can say, hey, Alexa, what's the weather for tomorrow? Yeah. They're, they're, I, I can't envision my world existing without voice controlled stuff anymore because i'm so used to it right so when i go to a hotel room literally every time i go to a hotel room now i catch myself at least once or twice during the stay 
going to use my voice to do something, turn on a light or turn on a TV or set a timer or whatever it is. And, you know, I have that that in my pocket as well, but it's a little more mm-hmm. friction. I got to pull it out. I got to hold a button and say it, and it's a different call word. But mm-hmm. I, it's inconvenient for me when hotels don't have it. You know, I, I get I'm not the majority of people. I get it, but I think we're going to get to a point where that is the majority of people that have mm-hmm. some kind of voice-enabled device that they're relying on regularly. And, and I think we'll see a shift in, in perception at that point. Yeah. But it's a good article, though. It's definitely worth checking yeah. out and not just going jumping on the bandwagon. Right. It's very thinking. valid. Yeah, I, I like articles like this that, you know, because you, you tend to, and I get caught up in this, you tend to kind of perceive a future and talk about it as if it's now. You know, a lot of people, and, and you know, when you're writing articles for third-party publications, you always want to try to sound like you're cutting edge and, it, you know, there's trends on what you're going to write on, things like that. Uh, so I think the overwhelming consensus is, oh, voice, voice, voice right now. I'm a part of that problem. So it is nice when you get these counter ar- arguments that kind of put us back in a little reality check. I liked it a lot. Good find. What's next? Next up is also from Focuswire, and the data is out. The news is released on how much Marriott has lost in terms of money from the data security breach. Dun, dun, dun. Seven. They lost seven. They lost more than seven. Uh, they lost $28 million. $28 million. In the fourth quarter. In the fourth quarter so far. So far, it's cost them $28 million. So I, I didn't read this article yet, but what? how are they correlating the two? Like, how are they aligning the two? Because you can't just look at year-over-year revenue and say, oh, you're down $28 million. It's No, all they're not down. No, that's how much it's cost them is $28 million. But for fourth quarter, they're still seeing a 23% increase in revenue. So what, it cost them in year. what way? Like the I mean, cost in, of infrastructure, cost of fines? Uh, cost of insurance. insurance claims. Okay. Proceeds. Gotcha. But they're—I mean—they're making bakulas of money. Yeah, they're still up twenty-three percent year over year in net yeah. income. Yeah. So I'm not crying too hard for them. And honestly, I thought it would be more than that. Yeah. Well, they haven't <laughs> been fined yet. I think yeah. that'll be interesting to see. They're the poster child. European Union is going to slap them. Yeah. Hard, I think. You know, because technically, if they're in violation of GDPR regulation, I'm not saying they are, but if they are, then I mean that could be four percent of annual worldwide gross revenue could be the maximum fine yes so this is coming from my purely non-attorney perspective this breach happened before gdpr, GDPR went was into in effect place. right but they didn't disclose it gdpr became a, a thing as, as soon as it was in any breach that's ever happened you have to disclose within 72 hours of any breach that's ever happened well or? Th- that is a problem right, right. so I, I don't know that's a good so. question. Like I said, I don't know that they are in violation, but if they are, then mm-hmm. th- there's a challenge. <coughs> so. so there you go. Yeah. We have one more newsaroo. What is that? And that is on New York Times, and it's titled "The Inside the Rise and Fall of a Multi-Million-Dollar Airbnb Scheme." And basically, what it's about is I think a lot of us already know that major cities do not like Airbnb because of the way it basically works their way around accommodations taxes and you know different taxing methods that each of the cities have. So this goes into a, a story about a basically an enterprise that had 130 Manhattan, apart, uh, Manhattan apartments renting to 76,000 guests a year. Wow. 
and in like Maine, you know, very visible locations, you know, great locations throughout the city. Yeah. But all of it was completely untaxed. It was against right. Airbnb's terms of service as well. And they actually cracked down and they haven't arrested the guy who was doing it, but they are, you know, hitting with a lot of different fines mm-hmm. and really putting the screws to him to one, I think make a make an example. But then two, that's a ton of lost revenue that the city didn't see. Should the city get that money or not? That's up Retroactively, for debate. yeah. But you know, the question becomes is okay, so what happens to anybody who's renting or using Airbnb in any of these major cities? Yeah, and it, it it's a challenge, right? not just the taxation, but also the regulation, mm-hmm. you know, fire codes and safety violations. There's there's a lot of things that traditional hotels have to deal with, insurance. There's yeah. a lot of things we, that they have to deal with that Airbnb in, in its current form doesn't have to deal with. And that, yeah. that to me, is the biggest problem in the, the, that the industry faces related to Airbnb. Of course, people are going to try to game the system yeah. every time things like this happen. And it's, it's an interesting article because it, it's New York Times perspective on it, which is not an accommodations yeah, industry yeah. T- partner. But they take it from the perspective of this guy, his name is Mr. Beckman. And in 2012, he was completely broke. And he paid $100 to list his property on Airbnb, which is a single-bedroom apartment. The money he made, he used to pay his rent, and he had a little bit extra. And that just slowly snowballed where you picked up another right. property. Very entrepreneurial. Property. Yeah, so it, it is kind of a, a great little success story, except for the fact that what he was doing... He was violating w- the law and... Was the, completely violating and, law. And so. Airbnb's policies yeah. as well. But I mean, just think if, if you're... You know, go from being completely broke to multi-million dollars, 130 Manhattan yeah. properties is well, incredible. Well, we live in a golden age for entrepreneurial spirit, right? In terms of you, the cost to start a business is is lower than it's ever been. Technology is cheaper. You, cloud-based especially, you can really get going very rapidly in with the sharing economy. I know people don't love that that term, but there's a lot of opportunity for side gigs and side hustles and stuff like that to supplement yourself while you're building whatever the, the empire is. That's all great, right? That's the American dream, this American spirit, great. But if you're in violation of the law, then they deserve everything that's coming to mm-hmm. them. And they need to make an <coughs> example of this because this isn't an isolated incident. This is just the first guy that's been caught doing this, right? right. So. They need to make sure that the deterrent is such that other people think twice before they do it. And more importantly, this needs to drive awareness to the legislation that we need tighter regulations on this stuff. We need to make sure the Airbnb properties are beholden to the same rules and regulations that everyone else mm-hmm. is in the hospitality industry from a safety and security perspective, but also from a financial perspective. Because otherwise, there's a there's an unfair advantage, and that that should not be allowed to happen. Exactly. I mean, it. You just really look at the cab industry mm-hmm. and Uber and Lyft and everything else. It's it's the it's a very similar model that is threatening the the accommodation space in general. So I mean, it's a little bit different because accommodations are able to take advantage of that same platform, but when you're at a competitive disadvantage because you have to pay, in a lot of cases, it's fifteen plus percent. And taxes sure. and accommodation fees that are going out that the properties have to pay that the Airbnb or does not. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just unfair and that that stifles competition and <coughs> that, that needs to be stopped. So yeah, I have lots of opinions. 
But people are too, they're worried about the wrong part of the, the conversation. Right? Too, too many hoteliers are worried about how did they compete with Airbnb. They really don't have to. If they're running a good hotel, it's not really eroding their business. It's going to erode business from poorly run hotels. Your focus related to Airbnb should exclusively be on how do you get the government in your region and on a national level to make the necessary changes to prevent them from having the unfair advantage. That that should be your your core and almost exclusive focus related to Airbnb. And then the rest of your energy should go into making sure you're being the best innkeeper you can mm-hmm. be and running a good hotel. Hey, for all you know, Airbnb could be a great source of new bit guests. Well, that that's... <laughs> That's very true. That's a great segue, <laughs> right? Um, and, and really, to, just to kind of put a bow on the top of that conversation, if you look at what Airbnb's done over the last 12 months, right, they, they limited in what potential growth they have in the markets they're in. There's not much new inventory they can get unless they buy existing hotels or go and build hotels. So that's why they're really looking at their growth potential coming from distribution, which is why they partnered with SiteMinder, why they've opened up their API to other folks like Fuel to allow us to push our hotel inventory to Airbnb. So a year or two from now, Airbnb is going to look a whole lot different than it does today. And really, the smart money is it's going to become, and really already is becoming, an OTA. It's mm-hmm. not going to be just a place where you the people can post their hotels it's going to be where any accommodation can post its rooms i feel like they shouldn't be called airbnb well it's a brand now it'd be I you know, know, it doesn't really describe what their mission is anymore no. but you know it's just a name so. does it does it lose its luster though when you go there and you're not finding a u- unique experience yeah, you're absolutely. just finding but oh d- look there's but, but the they Hampton don't care Air. because they're going to be making so much more money being a expedia alternative yeah so which is a really good segue into the next thing, which is 10 ways to generate new guests. And number one on our list, number one, 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 is, this might surprise some people, is the OTAs. What? Yeah. Say it isn't so, Stuart. It, it is so. No. Stuart. It's written. And Melissa. Yeah, it, it is written. Uh, so OTAs, as much maligned as they are, you know, are great for generating new business. They're they're in places that you can't can't afford to be as an individual property or small group of properties. So being on the OTAs, if you're using them right, is a great way to find people for the first time. That's a very Mm -hmm. large asterisk if you're using it right. Yeah. It is not a... Don't think of it as just a way where you can bring guests into the hotel. This is a way you can bring in prospective lifetime guests into your property. And make sure you do all the things so that you don't have to pay the same OTA to get that guest back again or maybe not get that guest back again ever again. First and foremost is get their email when they're at the front desk. Yes. You've got to do that because if you don't have that, you basically lose all communication in the case of booking or whomever it might be. You know, after you know a few weeks or a month, that email address that you have for them is irrelevant. Yeah, we did a we did an episode on that. I think Pete, you might have written mm-hmm. it about how to convert the guest, the OTA guest, to a direct guest next time. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, what's number two on the list? Number two is influencer marketing. 
which is lots of fun. Yeah, we did an episode about that recently, too. About I feel like we've done a lot of episodes mm-hmm. about all these things. We've done 105 episodes. Yeah, we're, yeah, we'll pretty much have an episode on whatever we're talking about here. But it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, one, if you can find the influencer who is aligned with who your property truly is and whose fans also align with what you have to offer. If you're organic, you're authentic, it, it, it's a great way of finding those guests. And can be potentially very cost-effective. Very much so. Yeah, because sometimes you don't even have to pay the influencer, right? You can just give them an opportunity to stay at your hotel in a non-peak season. Mm-hmm. What does that really cost you? You know, offers value. But yeah, mm-hmm. the, the key with all of these is how, how do I get my property in front of eyeballs that I wouldn't normally be able to reach, right? right. With the OTAs, that's folks like, uh, that are searching broad terms. So if I'm in Austin, someone searching for Austin hotels is looking to create a decision set, right? They're looking for multiple properties to narrow down to a, to a single selection. You as an individual property are never going to be relevant enough, or I say never, we have clients that do rank for those kind of keywords, but it's very unusual and hard to, to accomplish. So if you want to get in front of that consumer at the very beginning of their research journey, OTAs are a great opportunity. In this case, this is different because you're trying to get in front of people that aren't even necessarily looking for a vacation at this point. These are people that are just going about their daily life. So the messaging probably needs to be tailored a little differently because you're trying to inspire travel at this point. You're not capitalizing on the intent that they already have when they're making a search on an OTA. You're actually trying to inspire them to say, hey, you know what? I am working too bloody hard today. I need a vacation mm-hmm. next week. So think about, think through the strategy when you're using influencers and the messaging. It's not just the regular discounting stuff. You're trying to do something, persuade people a little differently. But they, influencers are influencers for a reason. The, 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 what they are is in the name of them, right? They have the ability to influence a certain group of people that you don't have the ability to influence because one, you don't reach them and two, you, they don't have trust in your brand yet. So this, this gets you in front of them, but also short circuits the trust part because that influencer you're leveraging already has that trust mm-hmm. equity that you can capitalize yeah, on. Yeah, and that's why it's so important that you're authentic. I mean, one of the nice things about influencers is people who follow this person. Already trust them. They trust them and they're doing it because it's something they're passionate about. So right. let's say it's, it's niche, e- eco tra- yeah. eco travel. The only reason I'm following an eco travel or you know, Instagram personality is because I just really care about that. And when somebody I trust is talking to me about something that they trust and have passion for as well, it breaks down all those marketing barriers that are constantly getting popped up. So you're able to kind of inroad that as long as you're authentic and actually you can do what you say you can do. Yeah, and that there's alignment between your message and their audiences, right. the message they're sending to their audience. It doesn't make sense for you if you're not into eco-friendly stuff, you're not a sustainable property, you're not using compostable toilets or whatever it is, right? If, if that's not your shtick, then don't go find those eco-friendly people on YouTube or on Instagram because it will hurt. it's not going to resonate with them. They're going to yeah. see you for as a fraud and that's going to erode the confidence and just backfire, right? And can, can lead to some very messy fallouts from mm-hmm. a PR perspective. So find people you're in, in alignment with. If there's nothing really unique or special about your property, one, you should probably stop and think <laughs> about that and say, what is unique? 
but go talk to your guests. Why did they choose you? What is it that appealed to them? You know, and, and why did they come back? Especially the ones that are loyal. What is it? And then go find influencers that have their ear, people like that. It could be that you're just really good for families, right? The, the layout of your room is conducive for having a crib in the room. Or it could be that you have a specific amenity that appeals to a certain age demographic, right? That there's a lot of little niche things that you have that are unique. And you need to go find out, find who those people are that that appeals to, and then go find influences that that matches with. So, All right. Number three is advocacy marketing, which is basically a fancy word for the 21st century version of word of mouth marketing. <laughs> it is a fancy word for that. And very similar to influencer in it when you really think about it, right? It's just a different type of influencer. Right. Like we, we all have influence over some folks. In, in most cases, we have some form of trust, equity, and influence over our friends and family and our social following, right? And so my, my wife is, I, I'm an influencer of my wife in some ways. She's more of an influencer on me, to be candid, but in some ways I influence her. I influence my parents and my brothers and, and you know, you guys to some degree, although you don't listen to me all the time, I influence you to some degree. So we're kind of micro, micro, nano, pico influences, right? But it, but it's a little different because we have a, a, a real life relationship as well. And in, in the case of advocacy marketing, what we're really talking about is someone that has stayed with your property before asking them and encouraging them and creating a platform by which they can then go on and spread evangelize for your property. You know, we talk a lot on the show about Flip2 as an advocacy platform. To me, that's the best way to get into this. Is it's cheap, it's a couple of hundred bucks or a few hundred bucks a month for your property, and it's a turnkey solution. And that does a really good job of turning all the people that come to stay with you into an army, a legion, if you will, of people that are gonna go and advocate for you online to their circles of friends. And what's really great about advocacy marketing and why it's one of my favorites is when you really think about what we were just talking about with, with influencers, you're trying to figure out who your next guest is. What do they look like? What, what appeals to them? What do they like? You know, what are we in alignment? Well, guess what? The people that are likely to be your best customers are probably the friends and family of your existing customers right. because people tend to hang out in communities of similar folks. They tend to have similar interests and political persuasions and religious beliefs and all those things, right? So your your best next customer is probably a friend or a family member of your existing customer. So that's why advocacy marketing really, really works. AKA word of mouth. I mean, this is what people have been doing for all times. Yeah. This is now hoteliers and everybody really has a better opportunity to spur that along. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we're talking about it from a, we're a digital marketing company. So we're talking about it from a digital perspective and trying to make that happen on social media channels and mm. stuff. But it could be as simple as just good old fashioned asking them to refer a friend mm. or asking them to tell their friends in the post stay email or, or when they're checking out. Just say, hey, did you have a good time, Pete? Pete, did you have a good time? I did. You know what? We'd really appreciate it if you let your family and friends know because we'd love to host them as well. Cool. Simple as that, yeah. right? Simple as that. So, Pete, go tell all your friends and family. All right. I'll do that. Come stay yeah. at the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we have beer flowing. <laughs> we don't. Beer, the keg, no, the keg is keg empty, was out today. And Phil is not on the podcast, nor is he in the office. Oh, man. 
So yeah, if you're the chief beer officer in our company, which Phil is, then you cannot be out on a day we're recording a podcast. Ever on a Friday. Yeah. And that's when the beer is drank. So so if people are listening to the show and saying, man, the, the standard's not quite as high as it normally is in this episode, <laughs> it's because we're not yeah. drinking beer today. This which is weird true. because we've gone off on more tangents today than we normally do, which you'd think would be the opposite. So, right. Like this one right here. <laughs> All right. What's All right. Number four, local relationships. We've talked about this one yeah, a lot the, as well. You're a hotelier. You're, you got to be a good member of your community and your neighborhood. You know, so make sure you're an active member of the chamber. Make sure you're joining local clubs like the Rotary or whatever else it might be. But just work with your community. See where you have opportunities to, you know, host a local gathering or put people in rooms for a family reunion or whatever it might be. It's a great way to get people who are in your community to stay at your property. And if you have people in the community who are fans of your property, they have visitors. And those visitors will also come stay with you. Yeah, exactly. This is another kind of version of word of mouth like we were just talking about. You know, it's, it's having a positive sentiment. People aren't going to recommend your hotel if they don't know about it, if they're mm-hmm. not comfortable with it, right? So find reasons to have local people come visit, whether it's hosting business after hours, whether it's hosting special seminar, educational seminars, whatever it is, you want to find ways to get the local community engaged with your property and you be engaged with them as well. You know, Give back to the community is something you should always be doing in general, but it also helps your business. So like you said at the very beginning, Pete, not only be a member of your Chamber of Commerce, but actually be active in it. Get to know the people, volunteer, help out, and, and offer your facilities at every opportunity you can. You know, as long as it's not interrupting business and disrupting the guests that are staying there, find opportunities where people can come, visit your property, maybe even stay overnight because maybe alcohol's involved and you don't want them driving or whatever. But the more familiar the community is with your property, the more people are going to come stay with you because they're going to have... Um, friends and family come to visit them that need a place to stay. They're going to have in their businesses, uh, new staff members coming, people coming for interviews, clients coming to their offices. There's a lot of reasons people have other people coming into town. And when they say, hey, I'm coming into town, where should I stay? You want to be top of mind every time. And Mm -hmm. the best way to do that is getting involved in the community. All right. Number five is local directories. I feel like this is another 21st century thing for something that's been around for a long time called the phone book. <laughs> <laughs> the yellow pages. Remember those? Yeah. Where so, you named your business like with a number so that you'd be listed first. <laughs> yeah. Triple A Hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that would probably be bad because people think it was actually the Triple A, but <laughs> Oddbark Hotel. There you go. The people still do that though. You still see certain things yes. like repairmen and, and yes. things like that. A one something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you know, we we've gone to a. I think we all can agree, everyone listening to the show, that we're in a mobile first world, right? In in in, in terms of, that's the preference of the of every human in in terms of how they're finding information. Mm-hmm. It, it tends to be mobile first. Um, so when someone searches for anything on a mobile device, a lot of times, especially when it's a business related search term, the first thing that's gonna show up is local directories. Mm-hmm. And, and in the form of Google My Business, typically, or whatever they're using. Uh, but also, when they're looking for things like reviews, sites like Yelp are gonna show up as well. So making sure that you 
are visible on those you're optimizing those that the the messaging is consistent on all of those is a great way uh to get in front of people that similar to the OTAs that you wouldn't get in front of otherwise mm-hmm. because they're using these broader directories like Yelp and like Google My Business or Google Maps or Waze or whatever it is they're trying to find something they don't know about so they're not searching for a brand they're not searching for a specific hotel they're looking for criteria that match their search i want a hotel near this stadium mm-hmm. stuff like that the best results are going to be directories in that case yep all right number six, 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 six. is non-brand ppc and this one is 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 good but it's tough it, to it, do well yeah i wish i wish Phil was here on this episode because he's our resident PPC expert. But, you know, it like we talked about at the beginning on with the OTAs, you know, it's hard to rank organically for terms like Austin Hotels. But theoretically, anyone can be on that results page by just paying Google enough money. But the problem with that is it doesn't always yield the best ROI, right? Because it's expensive, it's competitive, and... Um, not the most qualified because people typically on broader searches tend to be higher in the funnel. They're, they're not quite ready to book yet. They're, they're looking for uh, more decisions to make at that point. But what we've found is you can be kind of semi-broad with your searches and find stuff that is unique about you. You know, Maybe it's vicinity to a stadium. Maybe it's an amenity that you have. Those broad terms, when people still don't know who your hotel is, you can show up for mm-hmm. And you can generate a good ROI. And that's another opportunity to get in front of people you wouldn't get in front of otherwise. Because, again, if I'm searching for hotels near this stadium, it's hard for me to rank organically for that. Yeah. But I can pay there. And if the math works, I can yield it. And that's why you really want to find out what is unique and compelling about your property. Because, like we said earlier, like like Stuart said earlier, if you don't, you kind of need to do some introspection and find out <laughs> what makes your property yeah, special. Talk to, talk to your guests. Yeah. Tip number one. But little things, like for instance, we've seen for so many clients, and this is specific PPC advice, if you offer free breakfast, hotels with free breakfast is a great term and can right. really do well for you. Mm-hmm. If you have a very unique water amenity, like a water park or something like that, again, those are great things to go outside of your brand name and focus on hotels with a water park. Right. You're not going to have the volume but everybody who's going there is going to be ultra qualified. And if it's truly unique, it, it removes the competition and puts you at the forefront. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also other, other areas you can go with the broad. I mean, just think about any subsection of searches that you might be relevant to. Room one that, types. Or, yeah. That's mm-hmm. the one I was going to bring up. We've seen a lot of success recently and increased search volume for yes. specific room types. Like when I travel, the the room is, is really important to me because I got two boys. One just turned teenager, right? They probably want a little more privacy. I would prefer privacy with my wife as well. So we're looking more for suites. We're looking more for like separated bedrooms, stuff like that. We also, when we're going away for a while, we try to be frugal. We might want to cook in the, in the room. We might want a kitchen, stuff like that, you know? So there are certain key things that I'm looking for. It, it could be as simple as me typing in a word like condo instead of room or efficiency or suite. Uh, but it could be very, very specific. Like we see search terms like three bedroom oceanfront condo with kitchen, you know, stuff like that that gets really granular. And that's something you can rank for organically if you put some effort towards it. But it's also something you can go and test 
with paid search, see if it's going to yield you good ROI. And then if it is, you can then put more effort into mm-hmm. the organic side. And then you're showing up again for non-brand keywords, which are going to generate new business, not repeat business, which ultimately is what we're talking about today. Yeah. So. That's a good one. Yeah. Should be doing that. But but you got to pay attention to it because like you said, it can be really costly and can not yield a good ROI if you do it poorly. Right. Okay, kind of moving from there to number seven, 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 seven. Social. So social is so important, one, for you to be there organically, but, you know, from the purposes of our discussion, to actually be being in there in a paid position as well. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it, it's a tough one, right? Because I, most people that go to social media aren't going there to shop. Mm-hmm. They're not going there to start planning their vacation. So... This is one where I think you've got to really think through your strategy. It's not just going on social and, and promoting what's going on in the property. It's, it's thinking about how can I reach specific targeted audiences and inspire them to travel? Mm-hmm. Like thinking about different people at different parts, parts of the funnel. And especially on the, on the paid advertising side, there's a huge opportunity for repeat business by uploading you know, your lists and things like that and creating targeted audiences uh, that way, but for the purpose of this conversation, finding out lookalikes to them, finding out again friends of people that have stayed, finding out people that demographically match, who or or psychographically match who your guest is. Social media, you can get way more granular than you can any other ad ad platform, right? Because you can do interests and geographic on top of all these other dimensions of it right and and so that really helps you figure out who your audience is and target specific messages to to those specific people so you for example could figure out where they live and target on and and that they have kids and that they're interested in beach vacations and target them with messaging about hey school's almost out because you know what time what, what their school calendar looks like based on their geographic location so you can really start to inspire them to think mm-hmm. about vacationing and, and get them before they even go looking for other properties as well yeah so i mean so what are your thoughts on you have two conversion events from a social perspective yeah you want to get them to book but that's kind of a longer shot that doesn't happen right away but there's also opportunities to do contests and giveaways and you're trying to find people who would make a lot of sense to be on your lists yeah. and pull them over. I mean, yeah. I've seen some success with some of my clients, but right. it can be a mixed bag as yeah, well. And I, I think you've got to separate the two and, and measure the success of them independently, mm-hmm. right? I think some a lot of people will blend their metrics together and say, Facebook as a channel yields this ROI. And I think that's a mistake. I think you have to look at it at a campaign level and what the objectives are. The folks that have had success with things like campaigns where it's a contest, uh, they've had success if it's a relevant contest right. to a relevant audience. You know, if you if you do a broad contest and give away an iPad or a Yeti cooler or something like that, then you tend to get a lot of garbage data. So it's important when you do those kind of contests to, to generate email addresses, for example, because hopefully you're not doing it to generate social followers because there's no. no there's no value in that anymore. It actually hurts your list when you... I could go on for hours about that. That's just frustrating. But if, if you're creating email addresses, then make sure you're segmenting that audience in your email platform 
in monitoring the, their performance over time so that you can see, okay, I generated 10,000 emails from this contest, but how many of those people over the next year or two ended up engaging with my emails or, or better yet went on the book and went on and how much money did that generate? Yeah. So I think you've got to really get granular in terms of how you're measuring. Um, and by doing that, it gets you back to actually figuring out a correct ROI because now you know how much those emails are worth, worth right mm -hmm. yeah so then it becomes a proxy for next time you right. do it right yeah. if, if it's a similar kind of campaign you can anticipate in real time okay over two years i generated these ten thousand emails from this contest over the next two years that generated a hundred thousand dollars in revenue now i have a dollar amount that i contribute contribute can contribute to each of those emails over a two-year period you might want to factor in lifetime value and things like that but a rough estimate. Yeah, you can get to a ballpark estimate. You know, people come to me, I get that question a lot where it's like, hey, what's an email worth? So, well, you know, not all email addresses are created equally. It depends on how you collected it, who they are, you know, what you send to them. There's a lot of nuance to that question. But, it, but I think you can get to an answer if you look at it over time. So I wouldn't go spending all your budget running a contest yet. I would test it, see the proof of concept, watch it over time and then come back to the, to the contest. Um, that is a great way to generate new business. But then another way is, and this is a longer term strategy, is that inspiration piece. You know, Try to encourage people to come and stay with you by showing pictures of other families that have stayed with you, things like that. Um, trying to inspire them and then capture them when they start looking as well. One word of caution is attribution models. Facebook's gonna make it look like they are responsible for all of your traffic. Yeah, and Google is too. <laughs> yes, and Google is too. Yeah, and and then TripAdvisor does. And then we were testing a, a <clears throat> content, um, a native advertising platform this week that was attributing 100% at, it was giving 100% attribution to view throughs. Yeah. You know, and then you got folks like Sojourn that are doing the same. So you can end up making $1,000, but yet seven different vendors are claiming 100% of that $1,000, yep. you know? So you like, well, I, I didn't make $7,000. How is that possible? So. Yeah, so it's, it's super important that you have your own tracking in place in my Melissa voice <laughs> and are really understanding truly what is performing that, what's that, not. That was a terrible Melissa voice. Hello, I'm <laughs> Melissa. <laughs> not sure. Melissa's not English. Always be testing. <laughs> Melissa turned English or Julia Child's on us. <laughs> do, you wanna, do you wanna retort with a Pete impression? <clears throat> hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> pretty good you just clear your throat a lot oh, too sorry that's true uh, i right. apologize for that eight 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 we want to move on yeah you just did eight <laughs> okay. that means you tell us what number eight is no man website content build great content because in the end if you get all these people to your website and your content is not great it's all for naught yeah and and i think too going back to what we talked about at the very beginning is it's getting visibility in front of people that wouldn't typically know about you, right? And content is the best way to do that because nine out of 10 people are going to the web, they're doing some kind of search for something specific. So everything on the internet is content. It is. So we did, we did an episode on this too about how to use um, area information content to, to, to find guests, right? So you could do calendars of events. So when someone's searching for that, that concert that's in town in June, that your website has a chance to show up. And, and you can build the content and rank organically, but then you can also run paid ads 
going back to the non-brand PPC, that direct people to the page content that you've created, which is going to have a higher likelihood of converting. So really think about people that are coming to your area, what are they going to search for? Are there specific attractions, events, things that to do that they're interested in and writing content about those that are going to get you in the decision set when they're narrowing down their, their list of choices. That's where I think content helps with the new business. But like you said, Melissa, every single person that comes to your website is going to be influenced by the content. So whether it's new or repeat, content is how you get people to convert. So it doesn't matter how many people come to your site if they're not converting, it's all for naught. So making sure that you have a clear value proposition defined, you're differentiating yourself from your competition and from booking through the OTAs, and that there's a clear call to action every time in every piece of content to the next step in their journey. Try to collect an email, try to get them to book, try to get them to read another article, answer their questions, whatever it is. When you think about it, the point of this podcast today is new hotel guests. And anybody who stayed at your property, their past experience at the property is going to trump anything that your website says. Mm -hmm. So the content throughout your entire website is all about the person who's never been to the property. Right. You know, you can't rely on, Hey, I sent someone from my email database to my website to read this article. I'm going to convince them to stay. They've been to your property. Right. They know what amenities they, are. Yeah. It's, it's, you're just kind of re-inspiring them to visit again. Right. But you're not trying to sell them on why your property is worth visiting right. in the first place. So you're right. The content is more for the new guest. 100%. Agree. And don't forget that every page of your website is a landing page. Very, very mm -hmm. good point. So expl explain, let's elaborate so on that. So unless people who are already familiar with your brand, in which case they're probably not a new guest, they're probably not going to come in through your homepage. If they're looking for rooms with, you know, an oceanfront suite with jacuzzi, they're probably not going to enter on your homepage. They're coming in on a lower level page, or maybe they found you because you're near a venue or because you're associated with an event going on. They're not coming in through your homepage. Those lower level pages, every single one of them, no matter how many you have, needs to be designed to give the consumer a place to go to the mm -hmm. next step. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really, it's a good thought exercise to sit down with your team and look page by page through the site. Like just pick the top 20 landing pages or the top 30 landing pages on your site, whatever it is, and sit down and, and think critically through it and, and say, okay, if someone comes here, this is the first impression they get. Because we all spend way too much time thinking through the homepage and, and perfecting that and not enough time on these lower level pages when the reality is the homepage might be the highest number of visitors to as a landing page but it's not the majority of traffic to the site you aggregate all the others together that's more than 50 percent of your traffic is landing not on the home page so to neglect it is just is silly so spend some time with your team going through that exercise of okay what what am i conveying what's the messaging what how did someone get here what were they in what was their intent and what is their next step we always want to keep converting them through that funnel every time here's a bonus tip for you Ooh. that nobody expected Ooh. when you're looking at this content on your site that drives traffic go to google and type in site colon the name of your website mm -hmm. and that will show you every page that has been indexed for your website and look at that content because we've been moving a lot of sites to new platforms recently 
And I've found several new and existing clients who had pages that were like test pages that they were working on that had creating been like maybe yeah. a landing page that never launched. And those all get indexed. So you kind of need to look through the content that you don't know that you actually have mm -hmm. and either 301 it or optimize it or whatever you need to do. But a lot of times you may have a really weird page with fake content or who knows what's on it that you need to watch out for as well. Clean out the garbage. That is the truth. Yes. It's oh. springtime. Clean it out. <laughs> All right. Number nine. nine, 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 nine. Third-party partnerships. That's almost a tongue twister. It is. Peter Piper picked a peck of Pickle. party partnerships. Um, <laughs> this is one where I think, you know, this could be like a social media exchange. It could be running a joint contest with someone else, but it's finding other, so, so similar to influencers, similar to social stuff we talked about, but going out and finding other brands that align with you, that you can cross promote to their constituents, right? To, to their cost, current customers. That could be in the form of, hey, I'm gonna run a, a contest for a beach vacation. Let me go find an apparel company that sells beachwear and let's bundle prize together where you get a free vacation and a new wardrobe and then cross promote to their list and your list. Now they benefit from that because they're getting access to communicate to your audience, but you're also getting access to that. So the, the more people you partner with like that, where there's alignment, the bigger your database is gonna get, the bigger the audience it is that's gonna see your brand, things like that. But it doesn't, you get creative with this one, right? It doesn't necessarily just have to be an apparel company, it could be like hey, maybe you appeal to families and you got a lot of young people come in because you got rooms that are great and you give away cribs and you know there's a lot of young families with young children coming go partner with like pampers or something like that like a diaper company go partner with a someone that's going to resonate with that specific audience there's really no limits to this it's really the only limit is your imagination it could be local businesses but it could be regional and national businesses if you made it work uh, you can also partner with not necessarily businesses, but it could be individuals, kind of like the influencer thing, but more um, physical relationships. So maybe you get a guest yoga instructor every week that comes in that's going to appeal to people. Maybe it's a guest chef that comes in for one month a year. There's a lot of opportunities for those kind of partnerships that are going to drum up interest to a unique audience, either to their audience or to someone that just is interested in general in what, what it is they have to offer. Any other ideas for partnerships? It leads you down that same path of finding what's unique about your property and who would play well in your sandbox. You know, I mean, if, if you have, like you said, you're great for families, that becomes your unique selling point that you want to focus a lot more of your marketing on because it's right. authentic. Yeah, for sure. So. 10, Travel agents, they're still a thing, and they're actually kind of seeing a little bit of a resurgence lately. Yeah, I've read a lot of articles recently about how, you know, folks are looking for you these unique va vacation mm -hmm. experiences. You know, can you use the M word, Stand, sit, sit in your seats. Millennials especially are looking for something unique. And, uh, yeah, we're seeing definitely an uptick in, in both the demand for travel agents and then travel agents' ability to help your property mm -hmm. so this is something that I, I think has kind of gone away a lot of properties i talk to now you know they don't mess with travel agents at all it's something that it was such a small part of their business over time and it was it was shrinking 
that it was just something they cut out. But I, I think it's depending on your situation, right? If you're a small, you know, highway hotel, this is not something for you, right? But if you, you've got something a little unique or your destination is kind of intriguing, then go find some uh, travel agents, wine and dine them mm-hmm. a little bit, maybe invite them to the property. They're a lot cheaper as an acquisition method than OTAs. You know, typically a travel agent is going to take a 10% commission versus a 15 or 20% commission. So it's it's a it's cost effective from that perspective, but you've got to put in the effort to educate the mm-hmm. travel agents and incentivize them in a way. Maybe you do a structured bonus system or something like that where it's 10%, but if they get a certain number, they get a free vacation or mm-hmm. you know, you can be creative with that. And I would kind of lump tour operators in with this as well. For sure. Because that's that's really where you're seeing more and more of the action from the travel agent perspective. My my mother-in-law used to be a travel agent and she actually retired before kind of the big travel agent bust. <clears throat> but what they would always have the problem of is you know, learning about these properties. Yeah. And you know, from what her perspective was is people were her customers staying at some random property. Right. But it was her recommendation and it was her you know, guidance that said, hey, yeah. you should do this if it's a cruise or if it's a hotel they're the ones that they're actually having a relationship with. Right. Like, like an OTA, right? Yeah. So it's their reputation that's at stake. So the one thing I, I think you want to, you touched on one of the points I wanted to make, which is making it easy for the travel agent to, to get informed, right? So maybe you create pages on your site or a cheat sheet or a brochure or something that you mail to them, some kind of resource that they can use to help them make better, more informed decisions. I think it's important. But when you get someone that comes to visit you from a travel agent, those are the guests you really want to surprise and delight and make sure they have an amazing experience because they're going to always report back to the travel agent. And that travel agent now, if they feel like they look good because they their guest or their person they plan for has a great time, they're a lot more likely mm-hmm. to recommend you to the next person that walks in the door. And this is a real relationship game. So travel agents aren't just a channel you pop up and then set it and forget it. This is something you want to work with every time. Every time they send someone to you, be in constant communication with them, making sure that they feel comfortable that you're going to really take care of their guest. Because in that case, it is in their mind, it is their guest, not your guest. So that's a symbiotic relationship you really need to work at. Again, not for everyone, but I think it's a good opportunity for a lot of folks that's being neglected right now. So that's that's the top 10, but there's there's some bonus ones because we, we did an episode recently and got a little bit of criticism because we didn't really touch on any <laughs> offline uh, or traditional advertising uh, channels. So I wanted to make sure we did include these on here. So we're not gonna discuss these ones, but you wanna run through the, the bonuses, other things you should, once you've done these top 10, these are some other ones you should probably look at as well. And I'll, I'll say this as well. Once you've done those top 10, redo the top 10 and <laughs> then look at some of these things because they can be very effective. I mean, the first one we have on here is magazine ads. Right. But it's a one and done type deal. You know, you can spend a lot of money. And I think that's where partnerships really can help to offset the cost of a magazine ad. Right. You can buy a lot of media companies are hurting right now. So, and also on this list are things like TV and radio commercials and billboards and, and stuff. So a lot of this traditional media mm-hmm. things you can look at because these are going to get new eyeballs 
that aren't necessarily thinking about your property. A lot of those companies that are selling their advertising are willing to barter. They're willing to yep. trade something. So whether you, you trade in stays, you trade in um, exposure, you trade in, hey, I'm going to give you a free vacation to give away to your audience, whatever it is, there's opportunities there to be creative in the business model. So it's not necessarily costing you an arm and a leg when you're trying those things. And make sure when you try these things that you're tracking these things. <laughs> ABT. Always, always be, be tracking. tracking and testing. So that <laughs> means dedicated phone numbers, dedicated URLs, all those things that you can track so you really do know what your return is on yeah. them. But I, I also think, you know, we we often get a little bit of funnel vision in terms of what what is this making me right now? I like yeah. the term funnel vision. I, I didn't coin that phrase. I heard yeah. it somewhere else. I forget where I heard it. I, I might claim it as my own. But, you know, we we start thinking about, okay, what's my direct ROI on this right now, right? Versus some of these things might be a longer play, sure. right? So if I do a magazine ad to an audience that I know is similar to my existing guests and I do it for the next two or three years, I might want to aggregate that investment and then look at the lifetime value over the next two or three years on what it's made me because the chances are pete goes to the doctor and picks up a magazine and sees an ad for stewartsvacationhotel.com he's probably not going to immediately go and book it right then it but it might inspire something down the line so trying to trying to understand the full multi-touch point funnel and and trying to understand not just did he book now but did he book next year and then the next year and the next year i think you got to compound all that not just the last click analytics stuff that people kind of get hung up on got to be a little more complex with these kind of advertising channels i think agreed but at least have the but basics. track it yeah yeah agreed but still track it damn yes. it yes is what you're saying <laughs> yes that's what i'm saying oh what were some other bonuses oh we've got third-party email lists and this is one I debated oh, whether to put on here. That's a rough one, Stuart. Well, here's the thing. Again, if you're measuring it, it can be effective. Now, I put it in the bonuses because it's not as effective as everything else we've talked about, right? So this is if you have extra money to spend. If you've already done all the things you're doing to, to get your repeat guests to come back and your new guests, you're trying to find them. There are some third-party lists out there that are not too bad. One would be your local CVB if it has a list. Sure. That can be effective. Another one, not always effective. It really depends on the offer. But Travel Zoo can be effective. I have seen that. Right? <clears throat> yes. So very well. If, if it's managed right. Now, I'm not saying go dump all your revenue on an email to Groupon. Right? I'm not saying that. You got There, there are intended and unintended consequences when you do stuff like that. You erode rate. You erode confidence. What I will say, though, is if you need a shot in the arm, you have extra budget, sometimes these can be places to, to generate new business. But going back to what I just said, if you get new business from this, monitor over time. How many of these people come back again and book at regular rate? If you offered got them in as a discount the first time and they never come again, you're wasting your time. You're eroding your rate. You're getting a lower quality consumer that isn't going to be an advocate for your property. Don't do that. There's other places to spend your money. But if you find that you have such a great experience on property that if you get one of these people from a third-party email list and they now come back for the next five years in a row with their extended family, 
then it's probably worth doing. But you've got to, going back to what you said, Melissa, you've got to track it all the way through every time. Some other options are it's native advertising. You could use that as well, be it, I guess, within you know, news articles, within your you know, local yeah. sites. Yeah, uh, this is one that, we, this and then the next one, the in-app <clears throat> advertising is one that I think is so niche Like You've got to be really creative with the content and the targeting on those. Um, I threw them in there because, I mean, they're not something that you're going to be spending a ton of money on, but it's something worth experimenting with, right? If you if you can come up with compelling messaging, native advertising can work. Just make sure, again, your attribution model is solid. It's not one where you're just counting view-throughs as a conversion, things like that. We had that recently. We were testing a platform called um, Genius Monkey that is cost per, uh, it's, it's not CPM-based, it's cost per click based but their clicks ended up being view through clicks not click clicks and what yeah it was that's yeah. shady yeah so they're not necessarily always the most honest in these channels i honestly i i don't have a client currently that's running what i would call a successful campaign on native advertising or in-app advertising to be fair but i do know that it is possible to do so if it's done right and you have spent all your money everywhere else effectively well, there you have it so yeah so hopefully you have picked up one or two things from this list that you're not currently doing and trying to drive new business but i think it would be a mistake for us to to leave the episode there and just say okay that's it because i really want to reinforce a reminder right which is every guest that comes to your property you need to make sure it has a great experience because at the end of the day, you can't sustain yourself on new new guests. If you don't have a repeat guest business, you're never going to be successful. So making sure that you're doing everything you can to be the best innkeeper you can be, to give everyone the best experience they can, and then talking to them as individuals, as human beings, and asking them what they like, what they don't like, looking to improve the property, looking to encourage them to go leave reviews, to tell their friends and family. That's really what's ultimately going to make you successful. And then everything we said today, whatever you do, make sure you're tracking it. I think that is a given, especially if you're Melissa. <laughs> or if you ever want to meet Melissa, because she'll get mad at you if you don't. I will be very furious. She'll punch you in the head. She does that to me frequently. <laughs> very disconcerting. Cool. So, Pete... Um, now we've wrapped up business. I want to talk about business is wrapped up. Non-business. All right. So I was at a, a retreat this past week, and uh, someone was a podcast listener, and they asked me, "Hey, so does, it's almost spring. So what's happening <laughs> with the bees?" I don't know what's happening with the bees. I I keep thinking I want to order more, but then I'm part of me is like, I don't know if I want to deal with it this year. So to catch people up, you murdered all your bees. I did. You haven't had bees for months now since really. Yeah. Since, uh, it's been about a year. Yeah. So we, we're all jonesing for your delicious honey. The listeners want to hear frequent bee, bee updates. So. And that weighs heavily on me. It should. So I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to get them. We also had a new house built next to us. Yeah. So I have a lot less woods. Mm. So, I live in an HOA community, yeah. so I don't know if it's cool that I have swarms of bees in my <laughs> no, back. No one's complained, though, right? <clears throat> no, but there, wo there was a lot woods behind us before, yeah. huh. so that's changed. But. I don't think that bees are considered pets, <clears throat> so 
or there's actually a lot of regulations about specifically allowing backyard beekeeping because really? of how important it is for yeah. pollination. Hmm. I think yeah. you've had forgiveness, man. Yeah, I mean you've got the hives sitting there, right? So people can yeah, see those. Yeah, in a shed so, that's ready to go. Oh, you, they're not sitting out. So just no, go sit idea. them out for like a, a couple of Let's weeks see and see yeah. if anyone complains. Yeah, you know. It, it's honestly, I mean, that's just, that's secondary. It's do I have the time to do it? Yes, make yeah. your children do it. All right, if if you want that. Pete to continue to be an apiarist, then you need to write in and let us know. A giant write-in campaign is what mm-hmm. we need. Yeah. I do have some bee news. Okay. Some of the remaining honey I used is currently fermenting in my first batches of mead. Yeah. Which is honey wine. So if that's delicious, you're going to be mad if you don't have a batch of honey. I know. This stuff ma- takes like a year to make. Right. So you better go start making honey just in case the meat is delicious. That's what I need to do. Exactly. So, But speaking of writing in, we had someone that wrote in. Andrew wrote, did. Yeah. He says, hey, Fuel Team. Greetings from Singapore. I've been listening to your podcast for a few months now and wanted to say thanks for all the info you've, you're sharing I'm currently working in a senior commercial role for a global travel wholesaler and also own a small nine-room cottage business in Margaret River, Australia. I'm interested in hearing both I'm interested in hearing both be tropical wait a minute. Topical. It's, it's interesting hearing both be topical of late. I don't understand that last sentence. <laughs> but the the two things he's in, interested in or his career and his ah. side business. A lot of people are talking about both those things right now. Got it. Yeah. So, okay. Sorry, I had to translate Australian or Singapore to. <laughs> what do they? It. They speak English in Singapore, right? So I, I guess had they to tra- do, yeah. translate English to, in, to That's English. That's true, but it's the Queen's English too. Yeah, yeah. English the to King's American. English. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'll be listening and may come with some questions and ideas soon. And that was from. That was from Andrew. Thanks, Andrew, for listening. Thanks, Andrew. And thank I you for love that we are getting global. I know responses. Singapore. He's, he's got a presence. He's got a footprint in Singapore and Australia. This is awesome. So we are a global entity now, which is great. So Andrew wrote in by our email, which is info at Fuel Travel. So if you want to drop us a line there, you can do so. You can also hit us up on Twitter at Fuel Travel as well. And Pete, if they want to get hold of you somehow and persuade you to get back into beekeeping, how can they do so? They can hit me up on Twitter at P DiMeo, P-D-I-M-M-A-I-O. And Melissa... I am on Twitter at M A Cavanaugh, M A K A V A N A G H. Why did you pause so much? Did you I, have to remember how you spell I your name? Did it in the wrong syllables. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> and you can find me at Stuart Butler. You can get the notes to this show. And we're going to link in the notes to a bunch of resources related to what we're talking about. So, for example, if we talk about um, the, the one about PPC, we'll link to an article. We talked about the content, we'll link to an article that kind of helps you on the tactical level get into some of those things. So definitely if you aren't doing some of these things on our list and you want to go check out the show notes because there's some resources there that'll help. And that's fueltravel.com slash podcast and click on episode 106. So there we have it. Thanks guys for listening. And until next time, you have been listening to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. So what did Melissa tell you yesterday? I had orthopedic shoes. My trail shoes were orthopedic. They were terrible. I said a lot of awful things I, I that I've never be, said about I anybody's they'd be clothing. Fine, you, I don't but, feel like you're you're someone that would say it unless I, you had a strong opinion. No, but these were that bad. They were that bad because I actually came and said, hey, I, I need some third-party advice. I think these are horrible, <laughs> but I just want to make sure. And They were terrible. Everyone thought they were just as horrible as I did. <laughs>